You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, I interview Aaron Igo. Aaron is a passion administrator that is based in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Aaron shares how she developed a passion for restorative practices and has found a way to utilize her students in developing and participating in a peer-led restorative model. She also shares some of the barriers and solutions that a campus may have faced as they begin this change in mindset. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am delighted today to have Aaron on the show. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So just like every episode, before we get into the content, connection before content, guys. So we want to start off with that flip five GTKY format. So Aaron, I'm just going to ask you five simple questions to kind of get to know you better. And so question number one is, so what kind of shows are you into? Do you watch much TV or binge or anything? You know, I used to. before. I became- <laughs> <laughs> we just finished Queen's Gambit. Oh, I loved it. Oh my gosh. Next to Stranger Things, best show I think I've ever seen. It was like a movie. It was oh unbelievable. I, I don't know what's coming next. But it's so funny, Aaron. I'm watching this and literally they're like, are you watching a movie about chess? I'm like, shut up. And then at the end, I'm literally at the end, I'm cheering and I'm like, am I just cheering? Like this is a real like super sports game. I'm cheering for chess. So well, and she's in <laughs> Russia and you're like, oh, she's more Russian than she is American. I mean, like they get her, right? Oh it, yeah. It was Unbelievable. And what's funny is I first heard about it because when we came back from Thanksgiving, I was observing one of my beginning teachers who does this get to know Uh every day. And on Monday, she devotes the whole period. It's only 30 minutes of distance learning. And one of the questions was what show or book did you read over break? And so I got a whole list of stuff from kids and Queen's Gambit was on it, which is why I watched it. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you the last one I'm just into is the Bridgertons. Uh, oh my God. Yes. The Bridgertons. I think it's on Netflix also or HBO Max. I don't know which one it's on. One of those, but the Bridgertons long series, love story back in the 1800s. Yeah. But it, it, the characters and the story, the way it, 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 it will draw you in. I promise you it's a, it's a great, great, great story. All right. Question number two. So how, how often do you like exercise or work out? Mm-hmm. And what do you like to do when you do that? Well, I used to often, like at least four days a week. I grew up as a competitive athlete. I played college basketball. And then I became a long distance runner in my 30s slash 40s till my last ankle surgery. <laughs> and then I discovered Pure Bar, which is on the bar. I don't do ballet. That was my daughter. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's- movements throughout kind of mind body soul connection right Um, then i got a little self-competitive and overzealous one day doing platform push-ups and hurt my shoulder and so it's been back and forth so right now i just go on what we call the loop with my dog and my husband Um, (laughs) right down the street from our house we have trails where we live so not as often as i'd like due to my 
important work schedule. Absolutely. So they always say you're either early or late. So which type of person are you? Oh, super, super night owl. Super, super night owl. It's, oh, gotcha. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm definitely not a morning person at all. I picked the wrong career for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a night owl. And my son, who's 14, is too. So we get each other. Gotcha. Okay. Would you consider people watching one of the fun things to do in life? Do you ever watch people? I always watch people. I my my hobby is photography. Oh, okay. And so, like, if I could be anybody else, if I could do anything else, it would be my questions for you, Dorothea Lang. I don't know if you know. No. So during the Depression era, um, her husband was an economist at, at Cal, UC Berkeley. They traveled the country to basically they basically reported back on what was really happening with people. Okay. And so she was, she would basically, she'd go up to people and she would interview them, talk to them, and then run back to her truck and verbatim write down what they said. But she would take these most incredible photographs. Just okay. look, look her up, L-A-N-G-E. The most incredible, you'll know the photographs. Okay. Uh, you look into these people's eyes and you can see what's happening. Um, okay. So, you know, human behavior is something my daughter and I have in common. She's in college. Right. Uh, like watching people and how they interact with one another. And, you know, oh, I love to people watch, whether it's at restaurants or, I mean, obviously in the pandemic, it's a little bit more difficult now. But, you know, I, I think sometimes having those people watching moments where you're trying to guess what's really going on yeah. or trying to figure out that. Do, as long as, you know, you're, you're not like lurking. <laughs> right. I think there's a fine line between people watching. And lurking, Aaron. And if yeah. you stare too long, you're lurking, right? That's a really, okay. I like that one. Hey, look at that. My next question. What's your favorite drink? I just saw you take a drink. So what is your favorite drink though? My favorite drink? Hmm. Are we talking adult? It can, it can be adult or it can be non-adult beverage. However you would like to answer that question. I drink red wine. So really nice wine. Okay. But if it's really warm out, that would be a margarita. But okay. Uh, now I'm drinking mint tea. I grew up drinking black tea with milk and sugar, the European. Okay. And I drink coffee. I mean, iced tea. It just depends on my mood, actually. Sure. No, I'm with you. So, like, my favorite drink from Sonic is actually a cranberry limeade. I like cranberry and limeade. So when I was bartending, it, the, um, and it's crazy, when I was feeling under the weather, I would always drink cranberry Sprite and squeeze lime into it. And so I got into this cranberry lime limeade kick early. But yeah, so cranberry limeade. If I'm doing an adult beverage, it's definitely a margarita. I, I bartended on the Riverwalk in San Antonio for, for eight years. And so bartending margaritas became my forte. So So those are my adult beverages. So... So last question, what is your dream vehicle? You could have any vehicle. Erin, what are you having? I'm driving it right now. My husband bought me in. Well, what do you got? I want to hear about it. I have a Tesla 3. Oh. And uh, I guess my dream, yeah, I don't know. It used to be a convertible BMW. So anything like convertible would be uh -huh. fun. Uh -huh. uh, but I, it's, it's like when I started commuting, I started getting knee problems from the back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, when I became an administrator. And so it's all electric and it has the adaptive cruise control and okay. not self-driving, but auto drive. So my knee is so much better now because I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So I that and I don't ever have to go to the gas station anymore. And it's just like being in, I'm, it's like I'm driving, I have my own little jet. So ah. my own little I can just tell you 
Texas truck. I've never been inside a Tesla ever. I've never, I've never well, been in. I think, I think uh, our friend is moving to. Yep. to he, I heard he moved. So maybe, yeah. maybe I'll get an opportunity. All right, Aaron, that's five. You got five for me. Oh gosh. Okay. Hmm. Are you uh, an, a natural light person or uh, you like it dark and like in your little cape? No, uh, I'm a natural light person. You come into my house, I have uh, 24 foot ceilings, all glass, all windows, see-through, natural light all day long. Well, cool. Um, I have to have natural light. My last office was a closet, like literally. <laughs> yes. So like I have the most incredible, it's so nice now. I love vitamin D, love it. Yes, for sure. Well, I, I uh, definitely don't get it enough, right? Yes. Here. Okay. Um, if you could talk to anybody living or dead, uh -huh. that could, who would it be? Elvis Presley. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Uh, Elvis, I grew up wanting to be Elvis. Even You can't be Elvis. There's only one Elvis. But yeah, I literally remember in... As a young toddler and even as a young youth, I mean, he was obviously hit his prime before. I was born in 69. He was already, you know, primed out there. Um, but no, um, Elvis was somebody I was just fascinated with. I've gone, I've gone to his house and seen, you know, um, and not a crazy fan, but I just, I, I think his life is fascinating, the ups and downs and things. And so I would, I don't know, I would love to have a conversation with Elvis. Cool. Mine would be my dad. He died when I was young. But I've been really getting into Johnny Cash lately, who was his favorite. And it kind of reminds me of, it'd be like, oh, I wonder what. Yeah. Now, now, if you went family members and I didn't go there, not that I couldn't have. Um, I never met either one of my grandparents, fathers. Never either. They were, I was, they both had passed by the time I was born. And so, you know, I, I never really had the grandparent. I met my mom's dad once. And then my mom's mom, I, she was the closer one of the three of the four. Uh, but yeah, I never met either one of my granddads. So, you know, if I could have a conversation with them, that would also be great if I went with family members. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want them to get offended that I picked Elvis over them. So you kind of made me feel oh, bad. Oh, when you, sorry, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just said, like, growing up. Uh, if anybody, you know, asked me that question, I grew up Catholic. I'm not as, 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 religious now um mm -hmm. definitely very spiritual but i always always say i'd love to talk to jesus christ i mean oh. like you know like sit down with him drink, <laughs> drink bread for absolutely I mean, a fascinating thing um, absolutely. So I always, growing up, is that two or three that's three? three okay favorite flower favorite flower uh rose color um i'll go with red but they actually have some blue roses so blue is my favorite color Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you've never seen them, blue roses are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But roses, my mom had roses in her front yard growing up and they were pink and red, stuff like that. Obviously not blue. But the minute I found out you could give blue roses, it's like, ooh, that's a sweet one. Yeah. That's funny. We had hydrangea bushes in um, my uh, house growing up, my, our first house. And so I've always loved hydrangea. And gotcha. I, was, I have def definitely a lot of different favorite flowers now because there's just depends on my mood. But, Absolutely. Um, how about favorite go-to food? Oh, I mean, if you if it's like a meal, you traveled, and <laughs> like, have you ever traveled and you're like, I can't get this food here, and I just like really need this food. Oh well, yeah. So I mean, like, oh, I wish I knew the place, but there was a place in. I want to say it was Connecticut, believe it or not, the best Thai food I have ever had in my entire life. And the reason I say that, I was going to answer your food question with, it's usually Asian cuisine or Asian fusion. 
And then beyond that, I'm a sweets person. Like I love cake and particularly chocolate. And so chocolate with but, chocolate yeah, chocolate with chocolate with chocolate and more chocolate and, and, <laughs> and just throw a little more chocolate on top of there. Yeah. So chocolate cake or anything chocolate or cake is typically my weakness in uh, sweets or my weakness. I have a sweet weakness. I love sweets and they love me. They just like to stick around a lot. Longer. Mine's Mexican. We have uh, some really great Mexican food where we are. Um, yeah. But I've traveled places where, you know, you, you can't get Mexican food or you wouldn't eat it if you could. And so it's just like not being able to have it would be really difficult. Yeah, no, no. I was in Binghamton, New York, and it was like, that's not where you're going to get Mexican food. You know, living in San Antonio, Texas, we have in our world, we have amazing Tex-Mex food. So yeah, when I go to certain parts of the country, I'm like, mm. if I see Mexican over there, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. No, I think and my I'm good. In Canada for school. And I'm like, do you have any good Mexican food there? <laughs> no, I said, I'll send you some tortillas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. Hey, that was the GTKY part of the show. So we connect before content. And so if you want to know know more about the GTKY questions, head over to our website of rclfirst.com. And we're actually having a new call to action too for 2021. We are opening up a Facebook group for relationship-centered learning. So if you want to join that Facebook group, head over to rclfirst.com, click on the link to join the Facebook group, and you can join our community. All right, Aaron, get that part of the way of the show. So I want people to know where you're at, who you're at, who you are a little bit about as an administrator, and then we'll kind of just jump into the conversation. Sure. So I'm Aaron Igo. I'm a high school assistant principal. I'm in my sixth year doing that. Um, I'm at Piedmont High School in Piedmont, California. It's up the hill from Oakland, California. So the San Francisco's about 10 minutes away. And I live on the other side of the bay, about 10 minutes from San Francisco as well, from the Golden Gate Bridge side. I was a social science teacher and many other things for 15 years. And I have two kids, one in college, one a freshman in high school. And I am the AP in charge of student services. So all things kids, it's the best job ever. I love it. So, so when you and I connected just, just through email and everything, I I really got a sense to understand like, wow, we are very passionate about the same things. Um, Our, our messages have been very similar in the message that you preach and teach when you're working in your school. And so where did this, where did this drive come for, come from within, or did it come from an outside source? Like for me, if you've, I think you've heard my story, but like I was piloting the first, this first restorative campus in Texas. So I got infused with this work because basically the district said, you guys are on the naughty list because you led the district with exclusionary consequences and you got to do something different, right? So not that I didn't embrace it, but wow, I didn't see how transformative it was until all these years later. So how did you become passionate about either, what are we going to call it, restorative justice or the restorative practices or relationships, Um, however you want to frame it? You know, what's really funny is uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a doctor because my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease. And so I grew up taking care of her and I just wanted to help people and specifically old people. So my whole childhood and through college was all elderly centered, which is interesting. And then when I was in grad school, I started TAing for a professor and found that I really enjoyed teaching. And I actually played teacher a lot as a kid, which is, is kind of, 
ironic, but it was mainly because I was the youngest and I, I liked being in charge and having a stapler and the chalkboard. And that's what I thought teaching was. But so then I, I just spontaneously in the middle of grad school made the decision, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going into teaching. This is like totally for me. And the first thing I thought of was what's my classroom going to look like and how are the kids going to feel when they're in it? Like, mm-hmm. I want my class to be that class. I had a, a teacher, Mrs. Pellegrino, in high school who, what's funny, she was the leadership teacher, but I, I didn't do leadership in high school. I, I was eighth grade president, like ASB president of my school when I was younger, but she was that teacher. She had a couch in her classroom and everybody was in there at lunch. She was that teacher, you know, and you yeah. just like hung out. It's not, you didn't necessarily have conversations all the time with her, but you yeah. had it with other people. And that's just sort of like where I started. And then within, in my first year of teaching, well, about one month into teaching, the principal came into my master teacher's classroom and asked if I was ready to take on my own classes. That was back in the day when that kind of thing happened. And so I got my own classes and I'd never, I'd never taught a day in my life. And nobody walked into my classroom for the first semester. I had all freshmen. So that was fun. But I, uh, my mom my, it was my second year of teaching. My daughter was 10 months old and my mom was moving to help come take care of her. And I found two journals from one from seventh grade and one from 11th grade and my stuff. And I didn't, I didn't keep journals. Those were the only two. And I read my junior year journal and that I think did everything. I mean, it changed everything for me because it's what wasn't in it that struck me. Okay, and, so hold up, hold up. Yeah. It, it's what was not in it? Yes. Which okay, was, so you gotta, you gotta fill me in on this one. What was not in it was anything about school, anything about my classes. There were like two entries about homework, I think, if I recall, I've read it several times. Everything else was about the drama of a 16 year old girl. I was like super normal, you know, that yeah. typical little girl. And, and I thought to myself immediately, I'm like, wow, if my kids, meaning my students, are even thinking about my class when they're in it, I've won, let alone if they walk out and they're talking about it. Gotcha. And that was where, from the very beginning, my mind was with my students. And so I always remembered that. And so I always made a point. It just was natural. Like, you know, I had a principal once who did that stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. like evaluation, observation. And he dinged me on stopping to have a conversation with kids during group work. And he also tried to ding me on my content, but I was able to prove him wrong. But at any rate, if a prince, if, you know, I I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about prom. If the kids want to talk about prom for three minutes Mm -hmm. and and they're going back and they're going to be doing their work because later on I get to see them at prom. Right. And I get to see that dress that we picked out together. And they're always going to remember that. And so am I. And so that's sort of like always how I've been as far as restorative uh, justice or practice or, you know, I think um, I've, I've heard on your podcast relationship versus restorative. I mean, right. it's basically the same thing. Absolutely. And uh, we, I had an assistant principal who was back in 2012, 2013, who was basically directed by the principal to start a peer court. Um, and we had a bill in, uh, in California that had become a law around um, alternatives to suspension. 
And so he went, he ran with it. And in one year was the most powerful change I've ever seen on my, on that campus. I was there for a total of 14 to 15 years of teaching. Okay. And he was somebody who he would study, you know, the, the, the directory of like all the photos mm-hmm. that you have the kids, he would study the photos and memorize the names and the pictures and go and make sure he made contact every week with a certain number of kids. He hmm. just, that's who he was. Right. But he created this incredible change. And at the end of the school year, and I was working on my administrative credential at the time I just started it. So this was perfect for me. Um, I kind of was following it. I was just struck by how excited the kids were and what they were doing. So I just began observing. At the end of the year, we had kid, the kids present to the faculty and there were tears. Like I was crying, of course, weeping. And mm. teachers were so moved because we want to hear from kids. We don't want to hear from our administrators, right? Right. Um, and um, I'll never forget this one kid, Sonny. He was always in trouble. The coolest kid ever. He got in trouble. Part of the consequence of being on a peer court is to serve on the quote unquote jury. You okay. have to go. He then joined peer court after that and became a leader on it. And so we had a zero recidivism rate in recidivism. Recidivism. recidivism yeah the repeat behaviors yes ma'am in in that year like nobody repeated offending and really attribute it to pure court that ap unfortunately left that year and over the next couple of years we had two different ap's and basically i sort of became a sort of justice coordinator I kind of disappointed myself that I'm like, this is going to die. I can see it already. <laughs> I'm picking this up. I'm yeah, picking up I, the ball and we're going to keep yeah, running with it. Right. I had been there long enough to know right. that I'd probably be there longer than the administrators. And I didn't want to see this die. And I found as a teacher, how, even though I was a teacher leader, I was department chair. I had been activities director and, you know, I was a literacy lead for common core implementation district wide. Like I wasn't just in my classroom you know, doing the same thing all the time. Um, I had the civic action project that I, I partnered with the Constitutional Rights Foundation. Like I was doing stuff, but how you're still a teacher and how that trust or um, I didn't feel necessarily like um, the program was, there was no attempt at, at saving it. And like names were crossed out and what they did wrong was crossed out when I got the information mm-hmm. or the next year they were suspending instead and not telling me. And, mm-hmm. and so I kind of got the message. And so what I did was shift to training kids and teachers in small groups on circles or conflict resolution instead mm-hmm. and went to the practice part. Okay. And um, I was, um, I was a teacher within um, an environmental leadership school within a school as well. So okay. I've been running circles in my seminar class because it was all project-based. So they were all in each other's face all the time. And right. so a lot of conflict, but also community building. So I began doing that. Um, and so that was really rewarding. So really just centering the kids and, you know, being in charge of their own lives and taking leadership and knowing that the adults are there for them right. um, is, is really um, what drives me. So when you look at it, so you, you, you were introduced to this peer court 
system, you saw the success, you saw, I'm assuming you probably have great testimonies of where kids took accountability and all of a sudden conversations led to a different outcome than say if it was handled in the assistant principal's office in isolation, right? right. Then, then what I'm, I'm just kind of going through the walk through it as a step. Then what I hear is assistant principal leaves. And if he was quote unquote, the initiator behind this concept and it was successful, much like when I left Ed White, you know, all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's a Kevin thing. So when I left, it kind of uh, not all of it, but a majority of the mindset left with me. So it left with him. So then what I'm hearing you as a teacher leader, you're like, hey, I don't want to let this whole successful process just dissipate, disappear. So you kind of grabbed it back, made it still happen for that second year of the peer court. And but but. Is am I gathering the right that it finally, because of and we'll just call it lack of support, it just kind of disintegrated into before you know it, it was less and less of a peer court. Yeah, and I have no idea. I haven't had the heart to ask any of my friends there. It right. Was, I just I I have no idea. We did. Uh, one thing I forgot is we did part. We had great community partners in, in mm -hmm. the county in Marin County where where I I taught and where I lived, and we 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 have a youth court at the county level. And that's where it came from. And so that um, director, who's amazing, we partnered with him and then the ACLU chapter, Northern California. Okay. But, you know, I don't know what happened, but I do know that what I ended up doing was just getting creative, which is what sure. I do. And, right. And making it happen in other ways. Which, yeah. You know, the kids, I, I, you know, I'm in touch with kids, of course, they, they you know, and uh, they use it. I have one, one uh, former student, I'm kind of her person. She's in film school in Paris uh -huh. and she uses it on set, like the, the conflict resolution skills she learned right. in school. Yeah. She uses that. So that's. I, I, I know you've heard on the podcast. I cannot tell how many times the, that work I'm using air quotes has bled over into my real life, into relationships, professional, personal conversations. It's a skill set that it's it's really human-centered. It is really about listening, valuing others, and really listening from the heart more than from the brain to respond or, or react. And, and it's really seeing other point, people's points of views. And then, you know, I think what Denise, my co-founder, has really taught me is, is, is really when you're at that, when you're at that stage of, of like, eh, it, it, it Sometimes it's like you don't know where the conversation is or it's uncomfortable. It's like, tell, ask, tell me more about that. Like that has been a sentence stem. Like when you say, tell me more about that, it, it's, not a, it's not a false statement, but you're genuinely saying, tell me more, because then that elicits him to say, oh, he really does want to know more. Yes, that's why I'm, I'm using it. But it also engages in that conversation to understand I really want to connect with what you're saying or what you went through or whatever your experiences are. But sometimes being in another person's point of view or standing in their shoes are very difficult if we've never really been there. Right. right. So, so you see the peer court, you see the conversations that are impactful. Then what you said is, and which is what I love. That's what I like to do. I get creative. I'm like, let's make up our own stuff. So now all of a sudden you're yeah. in the teacher, you're left. Well, here's what I think you're left with. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you're left with like, look, I know something is effective and I see the impact of it. And if, you guys don't want to do that. Well, then I'm going to go do this. And before you know it, you're creating your own community within a community and yeah. you're using some of the peer court 
ideas, philosophies, and strategies, but you're teaching them to the students so that they can deal with conflict within. Is that, am I summarizing that correct? And I mean, I did get trained, just don't, I mean, I did go to like, <laughs> right. I didn't just didn't make this stuff up. Restorative resources in Santa Rosa, California. That yeah. School district does restorative justice or amazing, but you know, I, I used it as a teacher too. Well, actually my first circle I ever did was with my daughter and her friend from ballet. They were like, you know, 12, 12 year old girls in ballet. Imagine. And they had been great friends. And then what, I don't know what happened. And I did a circle with them and it made all the difference. I'm like, you guys are my guinea pigs, so let's go. And it was great. But I found myself, I used it in the classroom because I messed up and I had uh, mostly seniors. So I had that environmental leadership group. I would have the kids for two years in a row, which is awesome. But I had mostly seniors. I taught um, U.S. government and I loved having seniors, but by a certain point in time, you know, they were kind of getting over school or they, sometimes they, they just, they're a little, you know, checked out. Sure. And, uh, there, uh, one particular class, one of my small classes. So we were always really tight, super tight and something happened. And I just got short with the kid. He got really upset. He didn't mm -hmm. come back the next day. And I said to his girlfriend, like, where is he? He doesn't want to come back. I'm like, you haven't come back. Cause I need to have a conversation with him. Like I need to apologize. Mm -hmm make sure you know that came back he and I met I automatically went I owned it I took I took full accountability for my part and he was like <laughs> so floored because adults don't do that and I if I was gonna I needed to practice what I was preaching you know mm -hmm. I, nope. about this, I gotta do it and it was the best thing and you know like it was my fault and he's like 17 like I you know and so <laughs> But I'm also human and he needs to know that too. Sometimes like I had a, a student of mine one time, she came in my class, so funny. And she saw like an invitation or something for a teacher party. And she goes, what, like you're all friends? I'm like, no, Lauren, I go into that closet right there and I live in Narnia at the end of the day. Yeah, these are my, these people are my family, you know? First they're your colleagues, then your friends, then your family. Yeah. yeah, they're my, these are my sisters here, you know? And she's, yeah. she's freaking out. But the kids need to know that, you know? Um, and so um, I use that, you know? Um, and it also helped me, you know, if you can be vulnerable as an adult in the classroom in that way, you know, yeah. the kids open up to you, it's automatically a safer space, especially when you're talking about like politics. Right. And so, so I took that experience and when I became an administrator, I moved into a district um, very different than mine. I've been in um, more high-performing, affluent districts as an administrator, less diverse ethnically than where and socioeconomically than where I came from. And it's been quite um, an adjustment. It was kind of like being in public school at all. I went to Catholic high school. Mm -hmm. I went to Catholic school from fourth through 12th grade. Okay. And walking into a public high school at the age of 26, mm -hmm. I was like, where am I? It was another right. planet. Right. So, same kind of thing. And um, my principal, he was so great. He's like, just get creative when it came to discipline. And, and because I, autom you know, coming with a pure court background, right? I'm not going to automatically go to your suspended kind of thing, except on my fourth day of being an administrator. <laughs> that was like, what happened on campus was crazy. I learned very quickly, but he said, get creative. And so I did. 
And it was a lot of work in terms of it wasn't a district or community is familiar at all with the restorative process. You know, the discipline is, you know, not quite, you know, there aren't a lot of fights kind of thing or, or that kind of thing, but the, you know, it's more like cheating and, or forging parking permits or, you know, various kinds of things like that or bullying, lots of bullying. Sure. Right. And so it's about educating parents. I did a lot of that. We kind of became a, a coach of parents, um, including teachers in on it. And sometimes right. I have couples with teachers and kids, you know, or, or I bring a teacher in with, with a group of kids. And so I just started getting created. I have zero community resources. So right. I just started creating like kind of curriculum. So if uh, an educative piece, you know, um, has to be connected to the harm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I do a lot of that. And then at my next school within the same district, I had a teacher come to me. He was in, he taught a literacy class. So it was kind of like a reading, not a reading 180, but it was, you know, similar. And he had freshmen and he could not teach because he could not control the class at all. Mm-hmm. And so I wa- he asked me to come in and maybe do a circle with him. So I came in and it was funny because, I mean, this was like ADHD central, mental health central, like these kids could not learn because, and he could not teach because they were hurting so much and they mm-hmm. were just, they couldn't, there was no relationship, you know, mm-hmm. he was just, so I walked in and I kind of floored them because I'd been teaching for so long, you know, this is my 21st year in education. And, and, and so that was like, I forget when that was a few years back. And I just kind of got their number immediately, like who the heavy hitters were. And they were mm-hmm. like, at me really funny. I'm like, I know you people, you're not all unique. And so what I recommended to him is I come in once a week and I do some community building circles with them mm-hmm. and started doing that. And it, you know, it's not like it solved everything, but I had a girl come to me. I had girls talking to me who had been cutting and who, and who I started having, like being able, they trusted me, mm-hmm. you know, administrator. I had, um, another boy who he was always in my office because he was, he just wasn't in school. And I would, I made him my TA because we needed to drop one of his classes. So now he was in my office, you know, he was our front office TA. Mm -hmm. So we watch him and, and that came from that class. And unfortunately I got pulled out of there because the curriculum wasn't happening and that ended. So, um, but I was able to still have those connections with those kids. And that's, you know, like, um, that's me being like from day one of being an administrator, like rebranding the assistant principal position. So, so it's interesting. So yours went much better because the first time I was asked to come into a classroom to do a, and here's the deal. It wasn't really to build community. It was to really try to, it was almost like a circle of support and accountability, but it was, um, teacher was struggling. It was math. Um, I went in there early, early, I was very green into my practices. And so, um, went in there and I I did not have the ability at that point to really navigate that properly. I I, I have to, I'll own it. I was in over my head conversation happened. And before you know it, I didn't realize it. I, as a facilitator had allowed the students to turn on the teacher and I didn't navigate away from that. And so I do not blame him. 
and I don't remember how long this took us. It, it was a long conversation, but there were things like, okay, so what do you need in math? More time, you know? And, but it just seemed like everything that the kids needed was, was against the teacher. And mm-hmm. so I just didn't have the, I didn't have the experience to really understand how to make sure that we stay on a playing level field when it comes to that kind. And so it really was putting two forces, kids versus teacher. And so being the restorative discipline coordinator of the campus and being the quote unquote expert, we got done with the conversation. I'll just call it that, even though we were in a circle and um, he looked at me and he goes, please never come back to my class again. And I told him, I completely understand. No, I, I had to go back and now as I, as I've grown to experience and, and that's why I say you mentioned earlier and, and I, I'm, I'm not making a joke of it, but you said, oh, and by the way, I was trained, right? Like, I think, I think as practitioners in any of this work that we're doing, we can go to the training and the training adequately prepares us for, you know, as much as it can prepare us in a, in a, either we're role-playing or going through a script or whatever. But I really feel like, you know, OJT on the job training is oh. where, and, and when I made mistakes so much like you, I mean, I, I would, I had learned that I would come back and I would apologize to kids. And as you mentioned, they're just like, what an adult is apologizing to me. I would come back to that teacher. And when he told me that I said, Hey, I completely understand how you feel. I didn't get defensive and go, what do you mean? You know, that's just what the kid said. I, I completely understand. And now as I reflect, I saw where that conversation went down some paths that I, if I was a proper, properly equipped facilitator, I could have said, Hey, 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 let's keep it, you know, on this path of neutrality of where we're not, you know, pitting against each other. So, so I say that because I believe that it does take practice in either repairing harm or building relationships. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, some of the qualities that we need is vulnerability, but we also need some proper training because I have seen, and I have told teachers this, if you don't do this proper, properly, circle could end up being the worst thing that could happen to you. Like circle could, have you had an opportunity where circles blown up? I started, I mean, Look, I think we find what our strengths are too. Like, where is it that we're naturally inclined? I know where that is for myself now. I mean, this was, what year is it now? 2021. 21. Welcome. Happy New Year. Yes. started this like eight, eight, nine years ago. Right. Eight eight years, whatever, eight and a half years ago. I taught social science, not math. (laughs) Anyway, um. I, my ability to facilitate a circle is like so much better now. My, my guinea pigs and my environmental leadership program, they were the worst. At, are you kidding me? Circle oh, Aaron, I, used to, I tell them all the time. I said, listen, when you first start, you're going to make that highlight video called Circles Gone Bad. Like you're going to make that highlight video. You don't, nobody, not many people come out the gate going, that went really well. No, it usually you're like, that was a dump fire. It's like, you you know, you get trained or whatever, right? But I had all these cool tools. It's like the, the prescribed, like, I I can't do the talk, like the, the stuff in the middle and the talking and all this, like, it's just not authentic to me and it's not okay. who I am. And so I'll do the talking piece because like they need to learn to not talk over each other. Right. You can eventually get to a point where we don't even need that because they have that mutual respect for one another. Right. Um, but the, all that, it also takes a lot of time. And, you know, sometimes I just, you know, let's, let's do this for 20 minutes and, and do that anyway. So 
you know, yes, I can run a circle. It's not my favorite thing. It's the smaller, it's the smaller ones where I'm having not big circles, but it's two kids having an issue with each other or a student and a teacher Mm -hmm. um, where we're resolving something and the teacher can see the power and the meaning of restorative for real. um, Sometimes there's a misconception on what it really is. Also, when I'm like maybe doing a focus group kind of thing, Mm -hmm. like I use, uh, well, I have, I'm blessed that in our district, we have a restorative justice consultant who is just phenomenal. And she was helping me build leadership capacity and students, and she's doing it as well, um, separate from me, but um, we work together a lot. And just using that effective language and, Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and having, you know, kids talk with each other differently, you know, than, Mm -hmm. than they, they typically would. And we tend to talk, I think, where did I hear it? Probably another podcast. Oh, I think it was like teacher FX. We talk, teachers talk 70 to 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't let kids talk very much. So when you, when you, are in like a circle format, you have to hold back yourself as the adult. And that's really hard to do for grownups, but essential. Well so, said. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. you, I, 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 what I, what I'm gathering and, and here's the deal. I do not have, ex, I do not have a very deep experience in this, but what I'm really gathering from you and I know some other educators who have utilized this model is really going in and empowering the students how to do this themselves, to use the effective language, to use the questions, to use a dialogue, to listen, to use a talking piece if you need to, whatever. And so it's, I've always been impressed because that just wasn't my experience. So I have had people say, can you come in and train our students? I'm like, I think we can, you know, I think we would have to switch a little bit, but we've never really developed the true student, you know, to develop the student model where we grow capacity, right? Within, from within, from the students. And so when you see, when you think about growing it from the inside, what are some highlights or just bullets on what you see as positive outcomes when the students take ownership into this type of work? Well, I mean, you know, this is, I'm gonna steal it from, um, from somebody else I met in in a mastermind. Um, This is their, it's their future. Right. And so I'm here as the guest. This is their school. This is their future. In many cases, I'm finding they're leading us. Like an example would be today that I could tell you about. Their voice matters. These are things that when I write things to kids, I'm like, your voice matters. And hopefully one of these days they'll like really believe it. You know, um, so for example, during this pandemic, I've never seen in kids, they want to help so much, um, especially younger kids. I want to help the younger kids. I've never seen so many kids. They're knocking my, knocking, knocking down my door, but really not. That's figurative. I have to turn kids away. Like I don't have enough kids for you to help right now. Let, give me a little bit longer. Um, we've created a peer coaching program, um, our leadership program at the end of last year during um, shelter in place, created a peer mentoring program with the elementary schools. Um, we're, we're mentoring ninth graders and um, or coaching ninth graders and seventh and eighth graders. These kids just want to help. And they also are social justice leaders um, and racial justice leaders. We have a lot of, of those types of leaders at our school. And 
and and not just types, but we have um, what I mean by that is it's not your typical, you know, in a high school, you have your ASB or your leadership. You have a typical type of kid that does that. Mm-hmm. Well, we have all different types of kids who are now able to lead. Um, and so um, what I'm seeing is uh, they want to really be part of change and they want to help with solutions. And it's not just venting and complaining. Like we tend people, adults who aren't with, with young people think, mm-hmm. oh, you're complaining and venting and you don't know. This generation is like, and, and I'm biased because I'm a mother of, uh, I'm a Gen Z mom. You know, every generation has their, their, their stuff. This generation is living through things and just yesterday, <laughs> you know, right. what happened yesterday. These kids are living through a pandemic and now this, and they're still doing school and they're trying to play sports and they're trying to apply to college and they're trying to figure out how to, they're going to do the SAT. Mm-hmm. And they also want to be part of change on their campus. And one of the ways that I'm able to do that with them is when they call, I go immediately. So today I had like our leadership teacher call me on the phone. And so my teachers, they know, like text me because that's how you're going to reach me. Don't try not to email me, please. If you really need to talk to me and it's urgent, you call me. And so he called me. I'm like, I'm in a meeting. What's up? He's like, I need you in ASB. I'm like, okay, I'll be right there. So I, I was finishing up my meeting anyway, pop in and the kids are falling apart, Kevin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, some things that I've been talking about for months and that I've been working on with a couple other teachers is they need things to change immediately. They're like, enough is enough. Like we're worrying about getting A's on this and like our democracy's at stake. And um, we know people who have died from COVID and, you know, like they, they, we, um, I texted my principal and my, the other AP said, I need you in ASB now. And they both came in immediately. And we, the kids all missed their seventh period. And we talked for a good couple hours and it wasn't, we're mad at you for this and this and this. It was, here's the reality. We need short-term solutions. We need long-term solutions. We need this communicated to teachers. We're the elected representatives of the school and we're failing our, our peers and we need your help. And it was amazing to hear from kids. They're so, it's so, I, I just, there's no way I could have articulated myself like that um, as a young person. And they, there's enough of them on leadership that I've had contact with and who have been part of um, restorative practice in other ways mm-hmm. on our campus. And even with the, the RJ consultant I was talking about that they, this is what they do. And we have different committees of kids too. And when you have also administrators, we have an alternative school as well um, on our campus. And that administrator is a restorative practice and restorative justice practitioner, but her whole school is around that. And so the kids are exposed to it just as a general rule, but it's mainly the kids and not the staff. And so they're next. Yeah. yeah. The kids are the ones who are going to be training the staff and they already, we've already started in that. Wow. You know, that's, that's just an awesome vision to imagine. And um, I love, I love the model. I've just never been or had the opportunity to really work on working from the inside out. You know, most school districts call us to work from the top down or the outside in. Well, and we have that. We have like the, this, the district here is just like phenomenal. It is, it's a small district, 
everybody. So our superintendent was in my position 17 years ago. Hmm. And so it's, it's a place where you stay and there's definitely support from the top. Mm -hmm. When I first came here, you know, like I can identify with the parents really easily because I'm actually one of them and I live in a community similar to this. Right. So I look like them. I talk like them. I dress like the moms, like we're, you know, we're the same age and, and I see there's a lot of work there, Mm -hmm. but it's really the kids who, who can really change their parents, not me. Right. And so then immediately I was like, I got to just focus on the kids. Cause anyway, that's, that's where all the fun is too. And they will lead everybody else. And they, we already have that in different aspects. We have a diversity committee mm-hmm. that's been around for a while that's turned into really a racial justice and social justice committee. And that's okay. now our ASB class. And like my vision is for, we have, you know, we have um, consent is a really big deal in our community. And we have a consent assembly every year led by an incredible teacher. She's one of our acting teachers or is our acting teacher, but also is a leadership teacher in this area. And so we have that and that's growing as well. And in our social psych class, I was just in there a couple of weeks ago observing. And it's exactly what I, I, I want, I envision is kids talking about these having these hard conversations with each other, but boys with boys, girls with girls, boys with girls. And then you have also, you know, conversations with, you know, we have um, a number of transgender students on campuses Mm -hmm. and some are are more private about what's happening, you know, sometimes when they're going through a transition Mm -hmm. than, than others, but being able to have those conversations. um, I witnessed four 15 year old boys in a breakout room having, I didn't know boys could talk like that. Like, I, you know, I live with my son and I'm like, he doesn't talk much, you know? <laughs> yes. And I was so impressed. And then, you know, there's a mixed group of kids and, you know, one boy was getting a little, they were talking about consent a little, he, uh, this particular kid's funny, he's a little immature and everybody in the room, boys and girls, like were like, put him in his place and, and, but really, really respectfully mm-hmm. and articulately is that's my vision for these kids and they can do it because they're already doing it. So mm-hmm. how can we do that and, and get it out there? Because right. that's what's really going to impact um, their future is them able to have those conversations. It's like talking with girls who are mean to each other. It's that same thing. Yeah. As, so. Wow. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear what the growth is and that you have a vision. And it sounds like with your track record of really being loyal to into these positions and the districts that you've been in, uh, it sounds like you're two feet in. It sounds like you're, oh, what's that? <laughs> I totally am. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no. So I think for, for having somebody like you in their corner with a vision training perspective it is just another really guide that allows to, to continue to feel or allows the students' voices to really keep coming to the surface. And you've heard me say it, every student wants to feel valued, seen, and heard. So I feel like what you're putting are parameters in place so that students can continue to feel valued, seen, and heard despite the circumstances. Now, what I'm hearing is as you grow, it would be nice as we can start to incorporate the adults right into this process. And so, you know, I, I, I feel like that is a natural tendency or, you know, the next step to go. And obviously you're not there yet, 
But I do feel like you've got such a strong platform with the students' voices and under you know educating the community and understanding like you're getting a you're I feel like you're trending in the right direction for the stakeholders that are necessary. And as you pointed out from the superintendent down, you've got this kind of linear support from the top down. And so I feel like you have a chance to be really successful and do something very special at this school district. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, this, since the March, I, it's just such a blur. It's like you haven't really looked up. You finally um, we're, we're moving to a point. We're just about to roll it out. We don't have it, you know, an advisory. We don't, we don't, we don't have an advisory. We've talked about it. I don't necessarily love the term, but we're calling it now because of you. Uh, <laughs> Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I, uh, uh, Dr. Jeff Springer turned me on to your podcast and the first thing out of your mouth was relationship-centered learning and everything this gets to know. I was like, that's the, that's the term. That's it. That's what will solve them. Because when you say SEL or, you know, they feel like it's one more thing. Right. Um, and when you come out and you say, why are relationships important? <laughs> They automatically, they go within like that question for me is at home with my kids and my family. Well, we call our students, our kids. So everybody wants that. We're talking, we're about to roll out something. We're focusing on the freshmen, but you know, after um, my conversation today with leadership or our conversation, I know all kids need it. The question is, how are you going to make that happen? Yes. Looking at a couple of teachers, when we brought it to our department chairs, they're like, can we buddy up? I'm like, Awesome. And so we're going to try and sell it like, how about you buddy up? Because teachers need that support and that relationship with each other too, right? Right, right. We're doing that. Buddy up with somebody, take on 10 freshmen, or maybe we can expand it. Um, we have office hours um, twice a week. So school doesn't start till like 10, 15 on mm-hmm. Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay. People aren't coming to office hours. Kids are sleeping in until 10 o'clock, right? Right. But- Absolutely. How about on Wednesdays, we carve out some time during office hours. We kind of shuffle around how we're doing it. And these kids are yours. And, you know, there's, here's a number of different things you could do, but really make it organic in a place for, for, we're going to call it like breakfast club or something like that. So working with one of my beginning teachers, who's, you would think is, um, she's phenomenal. Um, In her actual teaching program at um, University of San Francisco, is all SEL based. So she comes out with that and she's just natural like that. But so that's how we're about to roll that out. So not just the restorative piece, right? Right, right. That will, that will be part of it is, is kids, kids need to be together and and they need to know that they are cared for and teachers do that too. That's why we're in the profession. So. Well, I, what I like about is building, first of all, coming up with that Wednesday plan is intentional. So now we have some intentionality behind it. Once we put some structure and we put some parameters around it, and like you said, but yet, but yet let it be organic. I think you have the right ingredients for it to be successful. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, I want to honor your time. We're running up on our hour here, but what, I, and what I can't wait to do, Aaron, is, is actually bring you back on another episode later after you've gotten some of this up and running and we can kind of hear about the struggles and the successes and the stories and things like that. But before we leave closing message, anything that you're passionate about beyond what we've already talked about, or or do we kind of cover everything or anything else you want to share with our audience? One of the things, um, you know, this pandemic has been really tough, but I've, I've just out 
from the start, so many blessings and positives that have come from it in terms of what I've mentioned with what it has revealed about this generation of kids. Mm -hmm. And these kids are learning new skills, practicing new thing, skills, watching the adults make really terrible decisions and then really great decisions too. Mm -hmm. But I think they're also seeing how hard we're working. Right. Um, and they're recognizing that too. So even though we're disconnected, I feel sometimes we are like on the same page more than ever. So I'm seeing um, a lot of really positives that way. And, uh, you know, relationships is where it's at for everything in life. So why make it any different in the classroom? Absolutely. Well, we'll close on that. So, hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. Again, head over to our website at rclfirst.com. Aaron, listen, thank you for one, for standing up and giving a platform for students to have a voice. Thanks for having that, that student-centered mind and heart in education. I think we need to lead sometimes more with that. And just thank you for just being awesome. And thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. We will connect with you next time.